Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. It looks like Georgia has acted pretty quickly here to hire a couple of assistant coaches over the weekend. That's not officially, you know, I guess confirmed by Georgia, but it has been widely reported, including at DogNation.com. So we're going to operate for a moment here uh, as if both these pieces of news are true, because we certainly believe that they are. And... When it comes to what Georgia's bringing the wide receiver coach and what Georgia's bringing the running back coach, I think there's sort of one big question that needs to be answered about both of these hires kind of together. If you don't mind, though, I kind of want to build to that and sort of take both of these individually for a moment and then kind of get to the sort of larger overarching question about where this leaves Georgia within the current landscape of college football. Let me begin instead by this. Matt Zenitz, reporter now for 24-7 Sports, uh, on Saturday puts out that Georgia is expected to hire James Coley as wide receivers coach, sources tell 24-7 Sports. Now, uh, that was the news as of then. We certainly believe that's where all this is heading. We assume that Georgia will make this sort of official here in a moment. And let me just acknowledge this to begin with, elephant in the room. This is a little bit awkward. I think for some Georgia fans, James Coley back at UGA, we addressed this on Friday, the, the notion that it could be Coley. What we said at the time was, hey, you may not have loved him at wide receiver. I should say you may not have loved him as your offensive coordinator, but he's certainly qualified to be the Georgia wide receivers coach. He's been good in that role before. He's respected as a recruiter at a multitude of stops along the way during his coaching career. So you may not have loved him in the one role, but I think that you will appreciate him in this role. However, it's fair to point out that not every Georgia fan necessarily feels that way. For a lot of Georgia fans, there's this thought of, well, how come this program is going back to something that was thought not to have worked in 2019? And while I think those Georgia fans will probably eventually be very glad to have James Coley as their wide receivers coach, the truth is, I do think that's a fair question to, to ask. I don't think that's an unfair topic to sort of kick around here of, wow, isn't it interesting that Georgia's going back to a coach that a lot of people a few years ago had sort of decided they weren't very happy with? And if you think about this, in the span of time that we've been doing Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia, we've actually been pretty lucky. We've been very, very lucky. But in one respect, we've been you know pretty lucky in that for a show like this, where it's always more fun when good things are happening for UGA, man, there's a lot of good stuff happening for Georgia on a regular basis. You know, we're not forced to have a lot of unpleasant conversations around here. But what the one thing we do try to do, because we wouldn't be able to respect ourselves if we didn't, and we would imagine we'd probably lose respect from you if we didn't either, we do try to be as honest as we're capable of being on a regular basis. And so when something's not good, we have to try to say, hey, this is not good. And when James Coley was here in 2019 as the offensive coordinator, I think our commitment to honesty you know, caused us to say, this guy's not doing a good job. This offense is not functioning as well as it could have been. And if you've been with us for the entire time we've been on the air and you want to go back and kind of like chronicle sort of like, you know, appendix style, all the things that we've sort of talked about. I would imagine James Coley may be the single figure associated with Georgia football over the course of the span of time this show's been around that we've probably been more critical of than than anybody else. We just thought that that was probably deserving. We didn't think that that Coley was was doing a great job as offensive coordinator there that year. And so the fact that he's now back uh, in a role at Georgia in any form or fashion is a little bit awkward given the fact that this was a guy that we found reason to criticize and many of you found reason to agree with our criticism of way back then in 2019. So it leaves you wondering, okay, what do you do with this now then? He's back, different role, or at least than the, than the role he had when he, when he left here for the 2019 season, but back at Georgia nonetheless. How do you feel okay about this, knowing the last time that James Coley was employed, not every Georgia fan, with perhaps good reason, was happy with the job James Coley was doing? So let's talk under those terms here for a moment. I think the one thing you do take a little bit of comfort in is that when you look at the lackluster results for the Georgia offense in 2019 when James Coley was at the helm as offensive coordinator, is that Coley himself was more than happy to own the fact that the results were not as good that year as they needed to be. In other words, 
the results may not have been what you wanted, but James Coley didn't have his head burying the sand about that. He sort of took that head on. In fact, if you want to go back to the time in New Orleans just before the Sugar Bowl, oftentimes coordinators are speaking before these bowl games. James Coley, speaking about the Georgia offense there at that time, admitted that the season that Georgia had offensively, the reason why they were in the Sugar Bowl and not the college football playoff, probably because of some offensive results that weren't quite what they should have been. James Coley took that head on back then near the end of his only season as Georgia offensive coordinator. This is what Coley said back then. Everybody knows, everybody's talked about, you know, the, the, the play on the outside and, you know, the questions on, on Jake and, you know what, I got to do a better job, first and foremost. Starts with me, right? So, you know, I'm looking at myself hard and criticizing myself and, 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 and busting my tail to get that in better. And then, you know, we, we do have to put some pieces in place for a quarterback in the past game. We got to put some pieces in place up front for the running backs. So it goes down to players, yeah, and that's the and that's the bottom line, right? So, uh, how do you get your players better so they can reach their full potential? And that's what we've been fighting all season long to get better at. Working really hard at, you know, bottom line, got to score points. How do you score points with conditions or what you have or the injuries you're working with? It, it's been tough, and ultimately it falls on me. And you know, it's our job to get it better. So you would obviously love for the results to have been better, but the fact that Coley owned the fact the results weren't good enough, I think you at least take some comfort from that. The other thing you hear him say there is, hey, we've got to put pieces in place to help our quarterback. Well, as the offensive coordinator, Coley's responsible for so much more than just that, but in terms of the putting the pieces in place, now James Coley gets to focus more on that job as wide receivers coach. It'll be his job to, to put those pieces in place. He also talking about getting players better. Once again, you know, the development part of this is something that Coley now, I think, can focus on a whole lot more. Uh, a person smarter than me in the past has said that when it comes down to what a football coach's job is, you got to go out and acquire talent, you got to develop that talent, then you've got to deploy that talent, you know, on the field. Well, when it comes to how the talent is deployed, the the strategic decisions you make as a coordinator, yes, it is true that James Coley was left somewhat lacking. You know, in all of that. But when it comes to acquiring talent, James Coley has an incredible reputation on that. And developing that talent and getting it better, we think that he can be more than capable there too. He won't be the offensive coordinator at Georgia. He'll be back in a role that I believe he's a lot more comfortable and he is certainly capable, I think, for the job that he's going to have. But but let me kind of go back to the bigger picture here for a moment because, you know, the, the debate you see among Georgia fans, and you'll see this on social media, you may see this on message boards, you'll see this in comment sections like the show that I'm doing right now, is there, there's the sort of faction that says, I'm not sure I like this, and then there's the sort of faction that kind of comes back and says, well, you just need to trust in Kirby, you need to trust Kirby. That, that's the phrase that you see a lot when it comes to the, to the sort of Georgia football fan chatter, including my own conversations. I have them with my own friends in private discussions, this idea of, well, I'm not really quite so sure about this, but I'm going to choose to trust in Kirby. Now, Obviously, on the one hand, well, why wouldn't you trust Kirby Smart, right? I mean, all football coaches know more than I do, but someone who's as successful as Kirby Smart is, two national championships, of course he knows way more than I do, and most of you would admit that he knows way more than you do there as well. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you on sort of a fan-oriented show like the one we do here. Just because Kirby knows more than us, that doesn't stop us from having the opportunity to sort of kick this kind of stuff around. You know, the sort of Monday morning quarterback tradition of, hey, let's talk about coaches' decisions. Let's talk about, let's just talk about sports. Let's talk about our opinion of sports. So just because Kirby Smart knows more than all of us and just because his resume uh, would somewhat make him immune to criticism, that doesn't take away our right to criticize. In other words, if you're a Georgia fan, I think that Kirby Smart probably should have earned your trust. and I think he probably should have earned your loyalty. But I don't know that any man, you know, is supposed to get fealty over to anybody else. And I think you have a right to sort of question this and discuss this in whatever terms you want to. So if you're a Georgia fan who's a little skeptical of this hire, I think you have a right to, to feel that way, even if ultimately the, the the thing that's supposed to win out is Kirby's you know track record of making seemingly one good decision after another. Now, you would come back and say, well, B.A., the one he made in 2019 wasn't good. Bringing in James Coley in as offensive coordinator, that wasn't a good decision. Does it feel like he's sort of making a similar decision here by bringing James Coley back? And I get that. And I think for some fans, whether they articulate it this way or not, 
I think a lot of this sort of bubbles into the notion of, well, you know, Kirby can be a little stubborn. When you've had the success that he's had, sometimes that makes you even a little bit more stubborn than you otherwise would be, and Kirby probably has a little bit of a natural stubborn streak anyway. Is this an example of Kirby sort of being stubborn on offense and wanting to do it the way he wants to do it, whether it works out or not? Maybe you could see it that way. I guess there's a possibility that that could be true, but I, I, do, I do think there's an important takeaway from what happened here in 2019. And I don't think you should miss this. I really don't. We had one of our uh, buddies that comments on our show. His name's Matt Rukavina a little earlier. He's talking about, I'm just not really, really quite sure how to feel about this decision to bring in James Coley, giving, I believe the word he used was unceremonious, the unceremonious exit he had from the program in 2019. And what I said to our commenters, we were on video a moment ago, is and I'll say it to all of you here right now, is I think that's actually a reason to sort of feel okay about it. When Kirby Smart looked at the offense in 2019, I think he realized that a mistake had been made, that James Coley was not the right guy to be the offensive coordinator. And so Coley's tenure as Georgia offensive coordinator only lasted one year. I think that if you're skeptical of some of the decisions that sometimes Kirby makes on offense, I think you should be well aware that when Kirby has made a misstep, when he's made a mistake and no one's perfect, everyone's going to have some mistakes, I think that Kirby's actually shown a pretty strong willingness to admit those mistakes. Now, what Kirby doesn't do, and this is sort of, I think, a leadership lesson, is that while Kirby admits a mistake, he doesn't necessarily admit to admitting to a mistake. In other words, he corrects the error without putting a whole big spotlight on it. And so when James Coley leaves, it's not like Kirby Smart has some huge mea culpa of, oh, yeah, we made a terrible error. We should have never done this. I need to give up some of my offensive philosophy and do things totally different. No, Kirby didn't fall on any kind of sword, and he didn't you know, sort of pour ashes on his head or anything like that. Just moved on, just made a different decision and brought in kind of a different offensive philosophy. And the result was two national championships. So Kirby doesn't necessarily admit to admitting the mistakes, but Kirby Smart admitted the mistake and he moved on. And the fact that he now wants to bring James Coley back, I think you should sort of believe and view this, is that Kirby Smart sort of doing this in the, the most sort of clear-eyed way that he possibly can. Now, one final point about this, and then we're going to move on and talk about the other coach uh, that Georgia uh, just seemingly has hired. Uh it's this, is that everything that comes down to Kirby Smart hiring coaches, the coaches coming in, and the job they're required to do, all of this comes down to results. And I think the thing that lingers over Georgia here right now, in an otherwise stellar season, Georgia was undefeated in the regular season. We think that Georgia was the best team in college football, even though it didn't ultimately get a chance to prove that in the college football playoff. In an otherwise stellar season, Georgia came up just a little bit short. And why did it come up just a little bit short? I think we would say that Georgia didn't score enough points in the SEC championship. Now, when it comes to the games that matter most, the elimination-style games, the kind of games that when you lose them, your season is in jeopardy of coming to an end, I think when it comes to those kinds of games, you got to score a lot of points. And the one thing that Georgia did very well in the Todd Munkin era was, you know, potential elimination game, SEC championship in 2022, or uh, college football playoff semifinal game against Ohio State, 65 points in a national championship game. 40-plus points against Michigan, 33 points in a national title game against Alabama, albeit one of those being a defensive score, that, that Georgia has found a way to find points in the games that have mattered most 2021 season, 2022 season. And when Georgia faces a similar situation like that in 2024, I think the results need to be better than they what they were in December against Alabama. I think that's all true. But understanding there is a standard and there is a way in which these guys will be evaluated – I think ought to make it a little bit more comfortable in the decisions that Kirby Smart is making because he knows full well how true that is. He knows they need to score more than they did against Alabama here this year, even though the offense was great during the regular season. That version of the offense didn't show up against the Crimson Tide in December, and that can't be true in 2024 if Georgia's going to get back in the national championship business. So the decision to bring in James Coley and the other coach we're about to talk about that represents the best efforts that Georgia can make to be as good as it needs to be on that side of the ball. And we've seen what Georgia's best efforts look like in the past. They look like a national championship-level offense, scoring about 40 points per game, including in the games that matter most. That's the job that James Coley's been brought here to contribute to, and we think that he's more than capable in this role of getting that done. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. We're live on video 10 a.m. across all platforms. We're on the radio at noon, 
on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And we're available as a podcast anywhere you find them. Just so happy to have you as a part of our program today. And so thankful to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia making it all possible. If you're like me, you're probably wanting to be outside this weekend as much as you could be because the weather was gorgeous. But when you are inside, isn't it fun to look out the window, see the sun shining and the way it all looks, you know, this kind of time of year when spring starts to sort of tease you a little bit that it might be here to stay? Well, when you look out your windows, what kind of windows are you looking outside of? Are you looking at the best possible windows you can have for your home? Is that evidence of you taking the best possible care you can of your home? It's where Pella Window and Door of Georgia comes in all this. So many of our audience members, homeowners that want to take care of that great investment, take care of that source of uh, you know, your emotional investment, the place where you're raising your family, you're living your life, and you want to take the best possible care of your home you can. That's what the Pella Windows and Doors really, uh, I think, are incredibly important to you. So if it's time for you to upgrade, if it's time for you to make that decision, then have a conversation with one of those Pella experts about exactly how you can do all of that. You can stop by and see them in their experience center in Duluth. You can give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Or you can visit them online, pellofga.com slash dognation. Once again, that's pellofga.com slash dognation. And between now and the end of the month, that's February 29th, just a few more days on this, by the way, you can also get 10% off your uh, Pella projects and 0% APR for 36 months. So a lot to do right now for you in terms of taking advantage of that great offer from Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Go see them in Duluth, put your hand on the product, find out what makes it uh, uh, better, or have that no-pressure consultation with one of those Pella experts, either in your home or virtually or however you want to do this. You can just do all of that and discover why. Pella Window and Door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best. But when you talk to them, tell them the BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I truly know that they will. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. Let me set up the conversation with John, though, by going around the doghouse here for a moment and now talking about the other assistant coach that appears George is on the verge of making here. Not official, but all but official, I guess, at the moment. And it is also a name we talked about on Friday. Let me show you Matt Zenitz here. Once again, Matt, uh, he's kind of a big newsbreaker type guy, does a good job with all that. He reports yesterday that Georgia is expected to hire Georgia Tech wide receivers coach Josh Crawford as its running backs coach. So uh, Crawford has been at Tech as wide receivers coach. He is now, you know, here uh, at going to be at Georgia as a running backs coach. That's a position he played in college during his time at Morehouse. You sort of know the resume. We talked about this on Friday. This is a guy who's been at Colquitt County as a assistant coach. He's been at Lee County, another power program down in South Georgia. He's been at Valdosta, spent some time at Western Kentucky. Pretty impressive resume overall, but we're led to believe it's that time, especially in South Georgia, and he spent some time at JC too, but especially in South Georgia, down there at Lee and Cockwood and Valdosta, that probably adds to the value of what Crawford can bring to the table here for Georgia, knowing this state so well. This matters a lot right now because for the class of 2025 and the class of 2026, this state is incredibly deep, incredibly deep in a lot of positions, including the one in particular that Crawford's going to be recruiting, but he'll be handling that area for Georgia in some respects there too. In fact, you want to go back to December here for a moment. Kirby Smart talked at the time about the nature of in-state recruiting, the fact that one of the punctuation marks to Georgia's 2024 class was winning a big high-profile file battle for K.J. Bolden out of Buford, taking him away from Florida State and kind of breaking the curse, so to speak, there at Buford, perhaps setting the stage for some major league in-state battles in 2025 and 2026. And going back to December, Kirby Smart talked about his view on winning recruiting battles in the state of Georgia. Actually, we don't have that, so let me move past that there for a moment. That's my error. And instead, talk more about how Crawford gives you a chance to do that, because when Crawford uh, was hired at Georgia Tech. At, in, he was just in his first season a year ago, part of Brent Key's staff. Uh, when Crawford was uh, was hired there at Georgia Tech, he kind of openly acknowledged then, having been at Western Kentucky, you know, somewhat limited college experience, coming down to Georgia, that working there at Georgia Tech, he was going to lean on uh, his time as a Georgia high school football assistant coach for you know kind of you know how he you know hoped to do a better job there with the Yellow Jackets. That was true in Atlanta. It's definitely going to be true in Athens. This is Crawford kind of talking about his own sort of in-state experience and kind of what that matters uh, to him in terms of being an elite recruiter now at a place like Georgia. Here he is when he was introducing himself to the Georgia Tech audience. You know, obviously, I spent ten years in this state. 
uh, coaching high school football and, and some really, really good programs. And so that allowed me to, to establish some really good relationships with a lot of coaches in the state and also have an opportunity to coach a lot of good players. And so from a from coaching in the state that helped me from a relationship standpoint and then I was very fortunate you know to be in some of the top programs in the state and the southeast which I felt like prepared me um, from a coaching standpoint from a work ethic standpoint um, to be able to you know translate you know at this level and uh, do a good job and so I'm very grateful to that I tell I say that all the time I'm very grateful for my uh, high school tenure, I think it's had a big time effect, you know, um, on, you know, any success that I've been able to have at this level. So there you go. Uh, Crawford clearly talking very openly about that time as a Georgia high school football coach, power programs like Coquette, like Lee County, you know, like Valdosta, and clearly making that a big part of how he was branding himself when he was introducing himself to Georgia Tech this past spring, and you better believe for Georgia, who wants to be down there. I mean, one of the top running backs in the state right now is Usmani Kromoff, for instance, down in Lee County. Cockle County big-time players every single year. That was also a spot where Georgia lost a commit uh, this time a year ago or around this time a year ago when it comes to NICAR. And, you know, Valdosta, he's one of the power programs in the state. If Crawford knows those programs this, you know, as well as he does, that gives Georgia a chance to have even deeper inroads down there. And that is clearly a very valuable thing. But let me say just one more thing, though, before we, uh, we bring on John Stinchcomb and all of this. I think that's great. I think that Coley's history as a great recruiter is a strong thing there as well. I do think, though, that the one question—I'm going to talk to John more about this here in a moment. I think the one question— that probably still needs to be answered about all of this. And I don't know that I necessarily have the answer to this. I don't, I don't know that, that anyone knows the answer to this as of yet. But the one question that's still sort of out there is, okay, so clearly you like what Crawford has a chance to do in-state recruiting. Clearly James Coley, South Florida, that's the place he has the deepest ties. He has a long track record of really succeeding down there. But how does that job change now in light of the transfer portal, where now your recruiting efforts are also about recruiting your own roster over and over again. And in the, especially the position like wide receiver that Coley's being brought here to, to coach and, and, and recruit, you know, knowing that NIL is such a prevalent part of the overall discussion about wide receiver recruiting, how different is the position coach's job in the NIL and transfer portal era and how much are things changing now from when Del McGee was hired in 2016 or when Brian McClendon you know was kind of making a name for himself as a college coach what Crawford and Coley are stepping into at Georgia how different is all of that now I as I said before I think that is the big question but I don't know that it necessarily has a, an easy answer so let's see if our next guest can help us out with that on the Crawford hire on the on the uh the the, the Coley hire and a whole lot more. Let's get ready to talk to John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Sounds like John's not quite ready. Is that right? All right, we'll get John here coming up in just a moment. We'll talk to him about a lot of that. And you know, listen, I'll I'll circle back to what we were you know saying a moment ago. If you're a Georgia fan, somewhat skeptical about well, you know, James Coley coming back, is that the is that the right thing to do here? We'll ask John that question straight on. Obviously, John would have had some strong opinions back when it comes to the Georgia offense in 2019. How should you feel about this here right now? My guess is John will still have some strong takes there on that. And uh, and, and Crawford and what he brings to the table, let's cover all of that ground and a whole lot more. John Stinchcomb, now he's ready to go with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia here today. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, it's great to have John Stinchcomb here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia, especially on a day like this in which you know, there's big news out there as far as what uh, Georgia's doing to act quickly. You lose Brian McClendon in the NFL. You lose Dale McGee to a head coaching job. And yet Georgia's striking quick here by you know, bringing in James Coley, bringing in uh, Josh Crawford, who's a little bit of a new name for some fans, although a guy we did talk about there on Friday. So, John, let me pick up with you before we get to the two coaches individually. Let me pick up with where I was a moment ago. I think the big question that sort of lingers around some of this is, how the job of a position coach is perhaps different than it once was. You know, when James Coley was first a part of the original Kirby Smart coaching staff, 
boy, we were celebrating, oh, man, huge ties to South Florida, great recruiter. And the truth is he proved that to be true. You know, Tyson Campbell comes to Georgia in large measure because of uh, James Coley. He was very influential in bringing George Pickens here. That's not from South Florida, but an example of the uh, kind of recruiting efforts that James Coley's capable of. But now it's an NIL age, especially at the wide receiver position. And I, I guess I'm sort of left to wonder, how much do these elite recruiting chops kind of matter at a time in which you know, NIL, you know, gives, you know, a whole lot of leeway to other programs and, you know, transfer portal makes it kind of hard to sometimes keep everybody uh, that you perhaps bring in. What kind of job, uh, I guess, how is the job changing that Crawford and Coley appear on the verge of taking here for Georgia? I, I think it's an evolving role across the board. You look at what their ask is, and it certainly changed over these last three years with NIL, but being a good recruiter, being able to connect and build relationships will always matter. And Coach Smart has said it on multiple occasions that he wants coaches that not only are additive in the meeting rooms and, and able to progress players as they come to the University of Georgia, but you got to be able to get the right guys in to be as competitive as Georgia has been. And uh, the these latest two additions are replacing guys that were highly talented at building those relationships. And now they're coming in and have uh, made, made their own hay, if you will. Coley's a guy that we are familiar with. And, yeah. and like you just mentioned, has been able to connect with players. So NIL is most certainly a factor. And, and for a lot of guys, one of the leading factors. But the ability to build relationships, the ability to connect with these kids and let them know that coming to the University of Georgia is going to be in their favor as they try to, you know, create the careers professionally that almost every single player that comes to the University of Georgia is expecting. They want to be able to do that with the assistance and uh, the improvement of, A, a guy that they trust and know that can get them there, and B, somebody that uh, they can form a relationship with and know that their best interest is at heart. So I have made it clear that I believe that just because the James Coley wasn't a good offensive coordinator, that doesn't mean that I don't think he's a good wide receivers coach. I think this is perhaps a really good fit for the role that Georgia wants him in here right now. And yet I've also said I think Georgia fans are fair to question that. I think they're fair to ask the question of are we sure we want a guy that we didn't like the last time he was in a role at UGA in this role here now knowing how high the stakes are in an expanded SEC, expanded playoff, tougher, you know, tougher, you know, sort of road to hoe here in the uh, 2024 season. Are we sure this is the right decision? I, I think it's a fair question, even if I think the answer is perhaps yes. So I'll ask you that. You know, what do you make of a guy that I think just objectively true, you know, left a lot to be desired as an offensive coordinator being back in kind of a, a role that that he also once occupied here there as well as wide receivers coach. What do you make of James Coley's return in particular? Yeah, for anybody who's run a business, they know that having the right people is important. Having them in the right seat on the bus is equally as important. And I think, you know, you look at these head coaching hires and it's mainly based on, ooh, they were productive as the coordinator position, either defensive or offensive coordinator. That's a big jump. That's a different ask of a coach when you're saying, hey, I need you to put together schemes and call plays on a, a given game day as compared to what the ask is of a head coach or position coach. So James Coley very well could be the right guy on the bus. He's somebody that obviously Coach Smart wants on his bus, and maybe this new seat is, is a good spot for him because uh, I, I'm in agreement with all those that assess his role as the offensive coordinator and, you know, whether it was his own development of where we were, where he was, uh, as, he, you know, coaches change and evolve and try to adapt. But it, it's apparent to me that Coach Bobo did an incredible job as we transitioned from the Todd Munkin era to the Bobo era. And now they see something again in Coley that they like the addition to, to this entire staff. I, hear me say, I think the loss of McClendon and McGee is a, a, a considerable one. I mean, he has built a lot of faith and equity into this Georgia program. He's They both have great relationships with the players, the fans, the, just the Georgia community. So two big losses, and you know that you have to replace them with high-quality individuals. The good news for University of Georgia is it's still a highly coveted 
destination, not only for players, but also for coaches. And I feel fairly certain that uh, there was a number of phone calls being sent into Athens for coaches that would be chomping at the bit to have the opportunities that uh, are now presented to, to Crawford and Coley. One of the things I said on Friday is, is that I'd like to see a little bit more stability from Georgia when it comes to this sort of wide receivers coaches position. I think you want to go back to what is now two receivers coaches ago, Cortez Hankton. I think he's sort of largely viewed as kind of an unsuccessful tenure here as a Georgia wide receivers coach. And then Brian McClendon, I think a lot of Georgia fans really liked him, and McClendon had a huge impact, I think, on the Peach Bowl. I think kind of underrated in terms of Georgia winning that game was the fact that the Georgia receivers that day kind of went, you know, almost sort of play for play with the really good Ohio State, you know, receivers. That was a really good day for the Georgia wide receivers, but you know, ultimately, you know, McClendon doesn't stick around, uh, you know, very long. He's on his way to the NFL, and now it's James Coley being here, which you know brings about a, you know sort of a series of questions. What do you make about? You know, the relative, I, I, I guess it's the okay word to use here, instability for Georgia at the wide receiver coaching position. Yeah, well, I think McClendon did a great job of raising the floor. I think you look at the bottom of that position group and even the quote-unquote worst on the list is much better than the stock that we've had in even recent years. So an incredible job of making sure that it's competitive throughout practice. I think you look at the amount of rotation that occurs on a game day and the amount of players that they deploy. And even with the loss of you know, this past season, multiple games for Lad McConkey and a couple of years back with George Pickens, uh, it, it affects the ability to, to call an offense. And when you bring in guys that can recruit and raise that floor, I think it does an incredible job. Now, consistency uh, it's certainly been lacking i don't know if i can put my finger on exactly why i think you look at the names on that list and they're in ambitious individuals and mm -hmm. i think when you when you look at the university of georgia it is a destination for coaches that want to continue to climb higher uh that ladder if you will and i, I don't think it's exclusive to the to the wide receiver room i think there's a number of coaches that have come and and probably uh, stuck a little bit longer than what they could have given the opportunities that presented themselves. But um, I think that's the nature of the beast. You look at the highest performing uh, programs in college football and there is turnover, not only in players, but in coaches that see it as an opportunity to grind at a very high level, recruit and, and work with some of the best players and also coaches that they're rubbing elbows with on a week in week out basis, but also get their names in certain hats of positions and, and roles that they might not otherwise have. You mentioned the idea of Georgia coaches being ambitious, and boy, you really see that when you look at Josh Crawford, who's we, we expect to be uh, announced as the Georgia wide, or now running backs coach. He's been a wide receivers coach at Georgia Tech, going to be running backs coach here at Georgia. This guy who you know plays at Morehouse, kind of parlays that into a lot of high school experience, you know, GAC, you know, uh, 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 Lee County, Colquitt County, Valdosta, goes to, you know, some college experience there at Western Kentucky, very prolific offense at the time at the uh, group of five level, parlays that into a power five job, you know, at Georgia Tech, and then parlaying that now into a, you know, a really big time job at a place like Georgia. I mean, like this is the sort of blueprint for how you become sort of an upwardly mobile coach and using every opportunity to kind of better yourself along the way. I think it's kind of a cool resume. This is not a guy that I really knew very much about before he kind of got into the to the radar here for this job. I didn't even know him last year at Georgia Tech, just being completely honest. Uh, but boy, I love that resume, and I, I love what I think he has a chance to do for UGA. This just sort of feels like the kind of hire Kirby Smart makes. Uh, beyond that, what do you think of Josh Crawford here? Yeah, don't, don't know a lot about him, but I think it's similar. You you hear that resume and you say, golly, there's a lot of parallels to Coach McGee in that there's a lot of deep ties here with yeah. the state. There's opportunities for him to connect not only with the players in our state, but you look at some of these coaches and you see their upward mobility. You see the fact, the track that they've been on and at each position, someone at a higher level recognized a unique talent. It reminds me of someone like Sean McVay, who, you know, only a few years back was a high school coach. And then you, you fast forward about a decade and you say he's now 
you know, leading a team into a Super Bowl and say, man, there are some guys that are uniquely talented that understand the game that uh, for those that they're around, given the opportunities, they see something special. And, you know, again, I don't know a lot about Coach Crawford and it's it's pretty lofty air to say he's, you know, in that same conversation as a Sean McVay. But I do think it, it's relevant when you talk about guys that are able to transcend not only specific levels, whether it's high school or, or uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but a lower tier of yeah. college football, and then recognize that they still can be impactful. We've seen that in other position groups uh, that in the University of Georgia staff. There's some names that aren't exactly familiar or the, the biggest in that position group that Georgia has brought to town and, and have really thrived. So hopeful that Crawford is another in that long list. Yeah, I mean, Western Kentucky's not that low of a job. They make a bowl game every now and then. Oh, you're talking about the other one. Oh, you're talking about the other one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shots fired. Uh, on a more serious note, you know, the, the way this is being sold, I think that Crawford sells this himself. Hey, because I do have those in-state ties, I can provide a lot when it comes to in-state recruiting. And, you know, John, 2025 in Georgia – very, very deep, no surprise, but like extra, even for Georgia, extraordinarily deep. 2026, you know, kind of the same, you know, type of deal here. Like, where do you kind of see, because, you know, Kirby talked about this some in December, you know, about, you know, you know, wanting to recruit in-state well, but also having to go nationally every now and then. You know, what do you make about the viewpoint of some fans of, hey, this is a really good time to kind of reaffirm our commitment to get the best players in the state of Georgia, something that Georgia, until the K.J. Bolden flip, was perhaps definitely not doing in this 2024 class, even though it was the number one class in the entire country. I, 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 do, I do realize that's an important caveat to the discussion, but, but, but nonetheless, what do you make of the idea that a guy like Crawford, you know, familiar with schools that typically produce some of the best talent, this sort of perhaps signals uh, a little bit of a reaffirmation to how much Georgia also wants to dominate its own state when it comes to recruiting as well. Yeah, I, it's tough to balance these two things at times. I think Georgia fans, we are hungry and we're greedy because we want to be the best at all in all categories. And Coach Smart has certainly moved the needle and what our expectations are uh, for an overall recruiting class. And now an added expectation or a pre-existent one that continues to emerge during this conversation is not only do we want the number one recruiting class, but we want that number one recruiting class to include all the top recruits within the state. I think that's always been a foundational thought for Georgia fans, and uh, it's it's a justifiable one. I, I think we all have an affinity to bringing in talented players, and, and there's an aversion to losing the state's top talent and seeing them play in some team wearing orange in a surrounding state. I mean, that hurts all of us, right? So uh, to be able to, A, recruit the very best of the best, and B, make sure that the best of the best in our state stay wearing red and black are, are two very real uh, expectations that I don't think are only expressed by the fan base. I think there is uh, sincerity when you hear Coach Smart talk about the talent in state that we want to make sure that Georgia is in that discussion, not only in that discussion, but that team that they choose because he continues to, to prioritize bringing in top talent. And we all recognize that some of the very best is right here at home. So let me finish with this. And I'm not, this is not me trying to be snarky. I'm just pointing out something that sort of hides in plain sight. Isn't it amazing that, you know, we're talking about, you know, how good are these fits for Georgia and what does this mean for UGA? We're really not even discussing at all. You know, James Coley was just hired at South Carolina. You know, uh, you know, Josh Crawford was in one year there at Georgia Tech, and these programs that we would think of as rivals to UGA. And like I said, this is not me trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be funny. They're seemingly incapable of lifting a finger to keep those guys employed at their at their spots if Georgia wants them. In the case of Coley, I believe they're going to pay the buyout amount of South Carolina, which is not a small amount of money necessarily, but but nonetheless, it's just a stroke of the pen, and it's and it's done for a guy that was just hired by a by a team in the SEC. Here, I, I find that to be pretty interesting. That's not even a part of the discussion. It's just a mere afterthought that that Georgia wanted them, and the bond they had with their previous employer just disintegrated just like that. That's not even 
you know, a part of this discussion, but nonetheless, I, do, I think does speak to the overall power that that Georgia enjoys right now in comparison to some of the uh, border programs here and rival programs. And John, as you know, it was not always that way. No, and I think financial health is a certain uh, aspect of, of the current situation, not only at Georgia, but where other teams stand as to their flexibility and mobility to not only recruit, but also retain great coaches. Uh, NIL uh, financial mobility is is the player realm, but the overall financial health of athletic departments. And I think the uh, viability of their football program is certainly a factor as to whether or not they can flex some of these numbers that are needed to bring in some of these top coaches. So there's other programs where a head coach might you know, go to the athletic director or athletic department and say, hey, I'd really like to A, retain this guy or B, recruit this guy. And financially, they just can't make the plays that they would want to. And I, I think because of the returning national championships, because of the national relevance on a year in, year out basis, you have some of that credibility, some of that flexibility and uh, some of that clout that's needed. To, to go into the coffers and say, hey, I'd like to come out of pocket and either retain or recruit some of the very best because we've seen the impact. And that's not always the case. There are a number of high-performing or want-to-be programs that are high-performing that do not have the flexibility and mobility that's needed to make the plays that Georgia has. And we, as we say goodbye to you here today, we're still in kind of early days in terms of having our uh, weekly guests on on video, so we're all getting used to seeing your face. Do notice a little bit of uh, scruff there, and I don't mean to put your business out there. You have every right not to answer this. Are we just not shaving? Or are we going beard here? Or are you fully committed to go to bringing out the beard? Uh, is that where this is heading right now? Ba, I'm not fully committed to it. I am certainly testing the waters on it. Uh, I'm actually our church is putting on a Good Friday. Okay. Uh, performance and i'm going to test my thespian chops that day and uh they've asked if possible for a number of the characters to grow beards so i don't know if i'll actually make it to the end of the month but uh i'm going to give it a good try so it's so funny that you bring this up because a back in the bible days everybody had beards so that's what that's all about but i was actually going to ask you because i do know your wife a little bit i was actually going to ask you is she okay with the easter pictures having a beard like like that that's that's honestly where i was about to go with that of you know knowing your family a little bit knowing your wife a little bit is she going to be okay with the bearded version of the easter picture because every family obviously gets the easter picture uh and apparently it's all for a good cause so i I didn't realize there was a reason for doing this uh what character are we playing do we know yet are you are you, are you just an extra because uh, i mean I, I, would, I would also say you know g- given my understandings of what people in, like ancient times look like you'd be a very big human being if, for, you know for for, for the uh, biblical era here do you know what character you're playing as of yet uh i am i'm slated to be the centurion that actually okay. uh crucified jesus so okay. not exactly the most positive uh roles but I'll see if I can channel my inner villain. Yeah, you don't want to get typecast. Converted at the end. Yeah, you, you don't want to get typecast that way. But uh, it probably does make a little bit more sense of you to, in sort of the Roman soldier role. That probably makes a little bit more sense, John. Uh, very, very good stuff. And uh, best of luck getting the uh, the uh, beard there. Have you had the facial hair before? I've grown it out. I get to that point where, you know, it's a couple weeks in and I just can't take it. It just yeah. gets so itchy that I never pass through whatever stage it is that you have to get through to see the other side i know I've never that. been able to yeah. do that so. i've tried that once before and kind of got to that same spot john great stuff we appreciate your insight on uh, georgia football here and we'll look forward to getting a chance to talk to you very soon on dog nation daily presented by palo Endo and door of georgia always enjoy it ba go dogs yes sir let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah john stinchcomb is like regular citizen during biblical times Probably the largest human on earth. You got to imagine. I mean, they were a lot smaller back then, right? But like as Roman soldier, you sort of probably sort of fits the typecast there on that a little bit more. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, you can see uh, 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 John's acting chops here at a local church uh, coming up around the Eastern time. That, that's a uh, that's a uh, fun thing to consider. Here's what else is fun to consider. How about cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and how about uh, a chance to be on board Allure of the Seas? 
coming up in April for our Dog Nation cruise. We had one of our Golden Shoe winners on Friday saying, hey, going to get a chance to be on Allure of the Seas. I had some friends who were just recently on Allure of the Seas, and uh, you get a chance to see Allure of the Seas right there. Folks, that is the ship for the Dog Nation cruise. About the Central Park neighborhood, like right there in the middle. It's one of my favorite things about the Oasis class of ships, still among the largest ships at sea. It's the various neighborhoods you get a chance to enjoy. You know, the different... just the different vibes the different spots and there's so many spots like including the central park where you sort of feel like you know it doesn't even really feel like you're even on a ship it's almost like you're in like a big city or something like that walking in a downtown uh, area and yet that's exactly what it is it's a it's a wonderful wonderful experience we love lure of the seas and we can't wait to be on board with all of you for our dog nation cruise so reach out talk to jessica slater you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com and it's not just the dog nation cruise you can talk uh, about there you can also chat it up when it comes to all the other fun things that royal caribbean's got for you in 2024 the debut of Hideaway Beach there is a part of Perfect Day Coco Cay, Icon of the Seas. I know you've heard me talk a lot about that. How about Utopia of the Seas, the brand new Oasis-class ship, which is debuting in Port Canaveral, sailing out of Port Canaveral, coming up in July. Uh, you got two of those great things, uh, uh, many great things there coming up for you in 2024. So stay tuned for all of that. Just so many extraordinary things going on when it comes to Royal Caribbean. And Jessica Slater's got you covered on all of that. And by the way, if you want to uh, find out more information for the Dog Nation Cruise, you can also go to the website royaldogs.com there as well. That's royaldogs.com. I'm watching the the video here, and you're seeing the flow rider there, the surf simulator, two of those on the back of uh, Allure of the Seas. Man, it's going to be a fun ship to be a part of. Cannot wait to do all of that with you. So let's do some cruise around the SEC through stories. we got a, sort of a strange collection of stories for you here today. Let's start with something serious. Uh, on Friday... It was announced uh, that Tennessee is going to win. Uh, Tennessee, we don't use the word Tennessee and win very frequently in the same sentence, but they did win in court against the NCAA. They got their injunction against the, uh, I think I'm using the right word. I, I don't like the legalese talk sometimes because I feel like uh, I, I never speak it correctly, but I believe they got the injunction against the NCAA who wanted to like, it, you know, kind of basically investigate Tennessee for alleged infractions involving NIL. Court said, no, you can't do that. So essentially what this is being interpreted as, and we certainly, you know, don't have any reason to dispute this, is sort of the end of the NCAA having oversight on so-called pay for play. That from now on, collectives can sort of openly do what they were always sort of doing to begin with. I mean, most of this was about semantics. And part of the reason why there's so little transparency about NIL is because there were state laws in place, whether they were enforceable or not. There were rules in place, whether they were enforceable or not. And no one wanted to do like Tennessee here or like Florida, perhaps in the Jaden Rashada situation or, you know, some of these other, you know, type of deals. Nobody wanted to accidentally step into, you know, saying something that could get them in trouble, either with the NCAA or with the courts. And so that's why there's so much secrecy around NIL, because I think a lot of people, players, coaches, you know, administrators, I think they were a little bit confused about, okay, well, here's what's happening in practice, but what's the what's the rule supposed to be? What's the law supposed to be? And that's why there's been so little uh, transparency about all this. It will be interesting to see now in light of the fact the NCAA has been sort of slapped down one more time, if we'll start to see a little bit more on the record, verifiable transparency about what actually is happening in terms of so-and-so getting some, you know, X amount of dollars, so-and-so getting two X of that, if we'll see a little bit more transparency in all of this. And the one other point I'm going to make about all this is that, you know, you see different people having a different response to situations like this. The one thing I want to be very clear about when it comes to this show and when it comes to my opinions that sort of power and fuel this show, we are not against players getting paid. We never really have been. To be completely honest with you, I wasn't against. I wasn't really against players getting paid under the table, allegedly. If that happened in the bygone era, I'm not against players getting money. That's never been all that big of an issue for me. I am against players becoming employees, and I am against players unionizing, so to speak. And I am against you know the idea that what we sort of think of as the college system now has to be destroyed and trampled on and rebuilt by people who've never built anything. Um, uh, you know, I am, um, I am concerned about that. 
I have no problem saying we live in a, you know, sort of pay-for-play era. There's a chance that going back to SMU and Eric Dickerson and stuff like that, maybe we've always lived in a pay-for-play era. Who knows? But I have no problem being in a pay-for-play era. But if pay-for-play means, well, now you got to unionize, now you got to make people employees, I think the amount of unintended consequences that sort of spiral off of that leave college sports unrecognizable. And when you take something that's been as popular as college athletics is and you create something that is unrecognizable compared to its previous form, of course there's risk associated with it. Of course there is. So I think the wise question to ask is, and it's not obvious to me that people are asking this, but the wise question to ask is, okay, how do you fairly compensate while also keeping this as college athletics? When I say college athletics, I don't even mean the college part. I, I just mean, you know, college athletics is a uniquely American thing. I think that's one of the things that sometimes endangers it. It is a uniquely American institution. How do you protect the institution while also taking good care of the players? That's the question to ask. And yet it's not obvious that people seem to fully understand that in this ongoing discussion. But uh, bottom line is Tennessee does win in court. Billy Napier, uh, we'll find out if this is a win for him later on, but he does make a couple of staff changes here. Uh, Jesse Ackerman looks like he's been brought in to replace Craig Fitzgerald. Uh, Florida suffered the indignity a few weeks ago, as you'll remember, of losing its strength and conditioning coach to Boston College. Say that again and ponder on that for a moment. Looks like Jesse Ackerman's going to be the replacement there, but maybe more importantly, Russ Calloway appears to be getting a promotion to like co-offensive coordinator here. Uh, Calloway had been on the staff, now going to get the new title. Uh, I don't know what this means for Billy Napier, though. You know, Napier is the play caller. Uh, Napier is also in sort of a put-up-or-shut-up year. Is some of this a way of insulating himself from the kind of criticism that comes when you're not winning enough games, or is this an attempt to kind of change the voices in the room for what Florida's doing offensively? I think that Florida fans themselves want to know this. Uh, obviously, I'm a Gator hater, and I revel in their misery. But objectively speaking, I think Florida fans are asking the same question I'm asking right now of, because I do think they perhaps want some new voices. Does Callaway represent that new voice, or is this just a new title? Um, I think that's Florida fans are having that discussion as much as anything else. Speaking of former Florida Gators, briefly, briefly so anyway, uh, Cam Newton in the news this week. And if you're not watching on video, uh, you're going to kind of miss some of this, but I suspect many of you have kind of already seen this. So there was a seven-on-seven tournament here this weekend. Newton, obviously very famous for having his own seven-on-seven team. And my understanding is, and I know very little of the uh, facts on this, but Newton was essentially jumped by a couple of guys representing a different seven-on-seven uh, team. And i got to tell you, and I don't know how much of this is what I should be saying, but nonetheless, I, I kind of gained a measure of respect from uh, Cam Newton in all of this. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, like, like Cam Newton's obviously a, a giant of a man, of course. We saw that when he would face pass rush in the NFL. But he gets jumped by two dudes – at this seven-on-seven seven, uh, event, he doesn't flinch at all. Uh, just to be completely candid, someone who dresses the way that Cam Newton dresses, I would assume, would not be great at fighting. But the truth is, is that Cam Newton more than holds his own in this situation. And you might imagine, uh, and you would be right to imagine, I'm not the most experienced guy in the world when it comes to, uh, like, fisticuffs. You know, I'm, I'm not a very seasoned pugilist, you know, not, not, not very, uh, uh, you know, uh, experienced when it comes to combat. So I haven't been in a lot of fights. But I would imagine when you're the couple of guys here that jump Newton, there's going to be nothing worse than when you jump a guy, when you start something and you realize you're not going to be capable of finishing it because that's what happens here. These guys jump Newton and Newton's just throwing them around like rag dolls. And like he's not phased by any of this at all. He's very wearing a very strange hat and it doesn't move off the top of his head, not one iota. So in a roundabout way, I uh, gained a measure of respect for Newton here because clearly it seems like, you know, he was not the instigator. He was instigated upon. And yet uh, Newton more than handled his business. So uh, give him a little bit of credit, I guess, for all of that. Uh, another story here uh, involving a little bit of video there as well. You may have seen the after effects of the Wake Forest win against Duke this past weekend. They stormed the courts there in Winston-Salem, and the uh, the Duke player kind of falls down, kind of gets injured, and this sort of brings back a debate that happens from time to time about court storming and should we ban the court storming? Should we? Should we? This happens more seemingly happens some. I mean, I, we shouldn't say more. Back, we've had some pretty high profile instances in football there as well. There was obviously the thing with Kate and Clark the other day when she took the flop uh, after she got hit. 
you know, the Duke players seemingly kind of doing some of the same type of stuff here, although admittedly I'm sure you don't love having all these people in your, you know, your face. So I have sort of a complicated feeling on this. A, I find it very interesting that there are certain voices in the media that will absolutely be as clear and unambiguous as possible when it comes to fans, what fans get wrong, fans shouldn't be storming the court. And yet those voices don't seem to be nearly as clear when it comes to the more significant issues that college athletics seems to face right now. Like, make a list of the biggest problems in college athletics. Uh, fans storming the court after a basketball game is like number, you know, whatever on the list, but it's not one, two, three, four, five, or anything like that. There's a lot more serious issues in college athletics. But some of the voices that are super clear about their disdain for fans on this, not quite as clear when it comes to, you know, more high-powered officials that perhaps are sources or at least, you know, high-ranking enough to earn protection. Sometimes it seems like we don't get quite the same level of clarity when it comes to certain voice in the media. Uh, I'm sort of to the extent that you can be pro court storming, I sort of am pro court storming. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of like, uh, 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 I'm not scandalized by the fact that, that fans want to run onto the court, especially when ESPN shows it on TV all the time. So I think some of the court storming stuff is, you know, sort of overstated. I'm sorry the guy got hurt. I, I, I am, but uh, but I, I'm not I'm not sort of anti court storming. Although I have been in some court storming situations. I mean. <laughs> Insert your own joke here, but there have been a lot of instances in which Georgia fans have been able to storm the court. But when I have seen that go down after basketball games, you are sometimes surprised that more stuff doesn't happen with some of that kind of stuff because it is sort of a weird situation having the players and the fans so close together. But I think there's also a way to make some of that kind of stuff a little less dramatic. No surprise that Duke seems to be courting some drama there when it comes to uh, some of that kind of stuff. Speaking of drama, a couple other stories for you real quick. Uh, So South Carolina... Uh, williams Bryce Stadium is going to host an English Premier League match. Uh, can somebody remind me, who are the – who are we – it's Man United and Liverpool, is that right? Man United – so, like, the, the, these are, like, two of the biggest, two of the biggest uh, clubs uh, out there. It's also going to be – the games – the match, whatever you want to call it, friendly, is going to take place in August in Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to be 7,000 degrees. Now, the only thing I know about like Great Britain in the summer is what I've learned from watching the British Open where it's like always raining and overcast. I'm assuming that's the way it is in Great Britain all, you know, all the time, I'm guessing. They're going to be falling out in Columbia like it's Bunker Hill. Like I mean, like these like do these British folks know what they're going to get into when it comes to this summer heat uh, in Columbia, South Carolina? That's going to be rough. That's going to be rough. So uh, we'll see how they handle that there. Uh, obviously, also kind of an interesting way. I'm assuming that South Carolina gets some money from this too, right? I mean, maybe kind of an interesting way to use your stadium, which sort of lies dormant for most of the year, uh, getting a little extra money in the coffers. Uh, kind of an interesting move there for the uh, Gamecocks. And speaking of interesting moves, one final story to give you here. This is sort of outside the SEC. Eric Bieniemy, you know him, uh, been discussed a lot because he was an assistant coach for a long time with the Kansas City Chiefs, working underneath Andy Reid. Uh, and, you know, Biennemi had sought to be a head coach and so wanted to get away from Reed, became offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders this past year. That didn't really go all that well. Obviously, uh, that coaching staff was completely blown up, and so now Biennemi's taking a different step coming to the college ranks, going back to a part of the country he grew up in there in Southern California, and he's going to be Sean Foster's first offensive coordinator as UCLA goes into the Big Ten. So Biennemi uh, was a guy at one point in time who was thought to be perhaps in the mix with some NFL head coaching jobs, uh, for whatever reason, that hasn't materialized. And so now Biennemi going to college as an offensive coordinator here. So kind of an interesting move as UCLA deals with the aftermath of losing Chip Kelly, who left the head coaching position to go be an offensive coordinator, now making a pretty big uh, high-profile coordinator hire from a guy that had gained a lot of fame in the NFL in recent years. And with that, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. <laughs> As we wrap up here today, we'll do so with a couple of golden shoes. We'll show you the first one on the screen. So Abe Froman sends this in. I don't know who this is. Maybe surprised to learn. I don't know a ton about hockey. I don't even want ice mixed with my bourbon, much less with my sport. So hockey, not a thing I'm super acquainted with necessarily. But apparently someone on one of the pregame shows, is this the one that's on the Turner Network? Um, uh, one of their analysts was wearing a Georgia 
ice dogs uh, sweater, I believe you call them. I believe in hockey, those are known as sweaters. So uh, Abe Froman sharing that with us there, one of the analysts wearing the uh, Georgia ice hockey sweater. So there you go, or ice dog sweater. Uh, good stuff. Anytime you get a little Georgia representation on TV like that, it's probably worth a golden shoe. Uh, appreciate Abe Froman sharing that with us. And a lot of you know that, speaking of sports I don't know much about, track and field, things like that, I don't always follow as well as I possibly could. But Georgia on tap shares this. Christopher Morales-Williams sits a world record in the men's 400-meter uh, at 44.49 seconds. Amazing, amazing. Uh, once again, I won't pretend to be an expert on track and field, not even uh, close to it, but anytime you're setting a world record, as Georgia itself put out, uh, no one has ever run faster. And that is an amazing, amazing thing to be able to say. What a great, you know, just cachet, you know, great line on your resume. The fastest man in the world, at least when it comes to this particular event. Uh, what an amazing thing there. So we appreciate George on tap sharing that. And congratulations to Christopher Morales-Williams, who gets a golden shoe for his efforts there on that. Lousy stinking gators, they don't have any of the fastest men in the world right now. The only thing they're doing fast right now is sending Billy Napier to the unemployment line, at least at the rate things are currently going. And it's been 1,206 days since they've beaten Georgia. And that is our Gator Hater Updater. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.